you're listening to the Locked In Podcast. Here's your host, Algernon Cash. I'm Algernon Cash, and you're locked in. We've been talking a lot about the 2022 midterm election, primary election season. We are still actually in the middle of the midterm election season as we march on the way to, to, to November. And I've been very fortunate to have a lot of different guests on the past several weeks to talk about the election season and break down what's, what's happening, what's not happening, um, obviously what's going on inside the Republican Party. And today I'm really excited about our conversation because I've got a real live, real live political roundtable here. Uh, we've got former Governor Pat McCrory um, joining us for this conversation. We also have uh, President of the John William Pope Foundation, um, John Hood is back with us again. You've seen him several times throughout the election season with us. And then also returning to the conversation is Harold Eustache, who's a prominent attorney here in Forsyth County and also vice chair of the Republican Party. How you guys doing? Thank you all for locking in with me. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm very excited about this conversation simply because, you know, we've, we've got all levels of the political universe sort of represented in here. Um, Governor, you just came off of an election run. So we're all anxious to hear your thoughts. Um, John's always got great political insight. And, and I know Harold keeps his ear to the ground. So he knows what's going on with, you know, voters at a very, very basic level. Um, I guess, Governor, let's just start with you. I, you. You know, I read your comments in the Charlotte Observer after the election season. I listened to your your concession speech. Um, obviously, you had a lot of tough words for, for members of the party. Um, you, you know, I, I think all of us can read polls and, and maybe even you knew to some degree that you were trailing coming into primary day. I, I think myself and several people I've talked to were a little shocked by the margin by which you lost. I think that was the biggest upset. But what, what was you what were you feeling on, on primary day that night? Mm, I try not to think about it. Um, you know, I ran into a buzzsaw. Uh, I didn't anticipate a year ago when I announced that I'd have an outside group called the Club for Growth spend $15 million of negative ads, but not just negative ads, but totally false ads directed toward me. And I didn't anticipate the former president of the United States getting directly involved about uh, three or four weeks after I announced and given a speech at the Republican convention that uh, and directing comments toward me saying that I don't represent his values. So at that moment in time, I, I knew things had changed dramatically in the party nationally and in the party uh, here in North Carolina and that I'd have a fight on my hands. I started out at 90 percent positive rating among Republicans. And by the end of the campaign, we'd probably drop to 50 percent positive among Republicans. And I'm the same guy. So it shows the power of uh what commercials can do and what the media can do. And I think the only thing I regret is not having the opportunity in this year to really discuss the issues and have debates. Um, I never would have anticipated a Senate campaign in North Carolina where issues were really not an important factor in the race, um, especially for a U.S. Senate race. Never would have anticipated that. And I, I was looking forward to that. So it is what it is, but it, it raises some great concerns for me regarding our party and our state and our country. Um, and I'll be glad to flesh those out later if you'd like. Be glad to hear the other people's opinions, too. 
Yeah, you know, one, one, one other question here before we move on. Um, and I, I know you're still digesting, you know, all this. You and I talked this morning, so I, I know you've got a lot of things coming at you still trying to um, do the do the autopsy report, I guess you could say. Of, of well, I'm happened. still paying off bills and uh, closing down an office. People think election night ends on election night for candidates, but uh, for candidates, you've got to shut down a pretty big operation and then go through the emotional uh, conflict. And I'm, I'm not even, you know, there are more than half the candidates lost the other night. And, uh, but you're right. Mine was, our campaign was quite unique in, um, I don't even know the person I lost to, uh, the winner of the primary, I've probably said no more than 30 words to him in my lifetime. And I so, never so, would have anticipated a campaign like that. So, so to, to that point, that's what I wanted to lean in on because you, you made a comment on election night. You, you said that um, you, you didn't, you, you didn't know, uh, this isn't verbatim, but you didn't know where your place was in the party any longer. Um, are you prepared to campaign and support the nominee from the Republican party for Senate? Or again, you say you don't really know uh, Mr. Ted Congressman, but are you even willing to support him? I, I, right now, I'm not ready to make that decision. I was, I made that commitment, but it, during the last three months of the campaign, um, I was told by his team and by the Club for Growth that I was no longer a Republican. So I need to get clarification. It's not me who needs the clarification. It's uh, me and my supporters were told that we're rhinos now. And that term is being used almost in a McCarthy-like way in my party. And it's almost like a cancel culture. So I've got to find out if I've been canceled in my party because mm. uh, by, by what they said, I have been. Uh, not by just uh, Congressman Bud, but by the lieutenant governor, by the head of our party, by Donald Trump. And I frankly think I'm more conservative than all those individuals. Mm. So I've got to determine what is the, con what is the new definition of conservatism in North Carolina, because it, it may have changed and I got to get clarification of that. Um, so, you know, I'm going, it's not out of bitterness or angry being angry. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go through a thoughtful process based upon what was directed, not just toward me, but also toward my uh, supporters and my, my past work as a mayor and as a governor. Um, I've got to get clarification from them more than I need to give it to uh, others. Well, I, I know one person that's played a big role in defining conservatism in North Carolina, and that's been John Hood over yeah. the, many decades. Um, John, has the definition of conservatism changed in North Carolina? It's certainly in a state of flux. Um, I don't think that it's been un, unheard of, but it, it is very rare for a major party nominee for a United States Senate, not just in North Carolina, but any state, to refuse to participate in a debate. Uh, and I, I knew that, we all knew that he refused to participate. And what, what I have learned just now that I had no idea, Pat, is that you've had no more than a few dozen words of conversation with Congressman Bud ever, which strikes me as bizarre. Um, By so, the way, I have for your, uh, with Congressman Walker and with, uh, Eastman and with 10 others, wonderful yeah. dialogue off the stage and before the stage and in cars. And um, I, I enjoyed that. To, I would venture to, to suggest you probably had significant conversations with many other members of Congress of both parties. 
with senators of both parties. That's my point. It's not even just that the, your, your race and the people in your race. It's just the, the entire political world. People interact with each other. They, you've, you've, I'm sure, talked many, many times with Democratic members and leaders of the legislature. Obviously, when you were mayor, you had many relationships that went back many years with Democrats. So that's what strikes me as, as, as interesting. And the way this is relevant to this question about the future of conservatism is that there has never been, if you go back and look at the history, I'm just, I'm just, I teach a course on history, on conservatism at Duke, and part of it is a historical look back at, at what conservatism was like in the 1920s or the 1950s or the 1980s. And there was never one definition. There was always disagreement. There was tussling. There was disagreement about priorities, sometimes even disagreements about major uh, uh, issues, major values. Uh, but there was conversation. It, it was a, it was about conservatism has always been, at least in America, a, a sort of a, a, a conversation between the politics of liberty and the politics of virtue or the or order. There's always been an aspect of people should be free to make their own decisions. And there are transcendent truths that should guide people's decisions and should be upheld by the government. And that is a tension that has always existed within American conservatism. And so that part of the current debate about who's a conservative and who's who's on the island and who's voted off the island, the, the conversation has never been new. And, and sometimes it got rather heated. What's striking about this scenario with, with, with Governor McCrory and Congressman Budd is there really wasn't even a conversation. And I think that that's strike. I mean, if you look nationally, about what's happening. That's another thing about this race and that that the, the primary just concluded and the general's coming up. North Carolina is used to having fascinating, robust, expensive, sometimes bruising U.S. Senate races. I think adjusted for inflation and, and population, which you should always do, I still think the most expensive race uh, is the 1984 Hunt-Helms race, where there were debates, by the way. Um, so we've always had these races, but they've been very North Carolina things. If anything, the North Carolina groups, whether it be the Hunt machine or the Helms machine, tended to be, they were sort of exporting the political controversy into other states. It wasn't imported into our state. What makes mm. different about this race is that it's, it's really part of a national story, national movement by the Club for Growth that, that has been involved in a number of races, by the Trump organization, which always, but not but often, but not always, endorses the same candidate as Club for Growth. In Ohio, for example, those two groups endorse different candidates. Uh, so that's what makes this particularly different, it feels like to me. I mean, think about Richard Burr's various elections, about John Edwards defeating Locke Faircloth. Those were, they were national donors. There were, there were people, people interested in the race, but it was a very North Carolina fight. And this didn't really feel like a North Carolina fight. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you know, Harold, you're 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 on the ground, man. I mean, you, you know, we got some fiery conservatives here in Forsyth County. I, I I come out to that Monday lunch, and um, you know, very passionate folks. And you're on the ground. You're talking to folks. You're talking to the the, the precinct captains and et cetera. Um, what what were you hearing about this race? I I, I mean, is, is Governor McCrory just not conservative enough any longer? Or? Well, I won't I won't directly talk about <laughs> what I think about <laughs> McCory or not. But what I heard about this race was not a whole lot, to be honest. I mean, at least I didn't hear folks talking about this race 
a ton. Most of the conversation, I think John alluded to this earlier, is that it's it's about what's going on nationally. It's about the national politics. That's what's driving this machine. That's what's driving the conversation, I think, mostly. So um, I would say on the ground, folks were fired up to get a Republican elected no matter who that is. So if, if Governor Corey won, won, won would, you would see the entire machine behind him. Whoever wins, as far as I think Republicans on the ground, from my perspective, would be behind other Republicans because what we can't do is have um, if ha- is have a winner on the other side win and, and start to put stuff in, in place that, that we wouldn't be for. So that's what I saw most of the engagement around. What I did, what I will tell you, Algernon, is that I haven't seen voters as enthusiastic um, as they have been in this primary in a long time, even even in the last few years. I mean, Republican voters are super fired up. If you look at our, the conventions around North Carolina, whether it be the county conventions or even the district and state conventions, I mean, you, you, there's max participation. People are you know busting through the same standing room only everywhere. And I think that's 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 shown in the polls, too, where, uh, you know, um, Republicans are fired up. So it's it's that it's that fired up stuff that, that I've seen people and also the organization. I think the Republican Party, at least it, it has been is much more organized now than it, I think it ever has been to the sense that and what I mean by that is that if you we have, you know, hundreds of lawyers, um, hundreds and thousands of poll workers, that kind of operation that um, really defined the Democratic Party under, you know, um, Organizing for America and Barack Obama in 2008. We've got that kind of organization now. So I think that's what you're seeing on the ground. That makes, makes sense. You, you know, Governor, um, as we move towards the general here, um, you know, Congressman Bud, he, he's going to be meeting an avalanche of money of his own this time. You know, Sherry Beasley's raised, raising a ton of money. We know there's going to be a lot of outside money coming in. Um, throughout the primary and even on my show, you made the case that you, you were the best candidate for independence. You felt like independents were really going to sway this election. I mean, what, what does the party need to be looking for in this general election? I mean, what kind of challenges do you see out on the out on the landscape? You've done this before. Well, I would agree. I think the base is enthusiastic. Um, I think the dilemma we have is, first of all, we have to make sure we don't purge other people in the party who may have minor disagreements, the more of what I call Reagan conservatives. And um, there's been a national trend where if you didn't get endorsed by Trump or by the Club for Growth, and there were some unique cases where they disagreed with each other, um, there was almost a purging. Uh, anyone who didn't get the endorsement of Trump must be a rhino. Well, how are you going to get those so-called rhinos back? And I thought it was a false target, not just toward me, but I've seen it nationally on other candidates. So are you going to are those people going to vote or are they going to sit home? Um, And then the independents control, what, 35 to 37 percent of the registration, North Carolina, which is more than both Republicans and Democrats. So this is going to be a very tough race. Uh, The advantage the Republicans have is a guy named Joe Biden. That's it. But the disadvantage we have is that the independents um, either many of them do not like Trump personally, and they also don't like Biden. So will they vote? And if they vote, who will they vote for? Um, And right now, the thing we have going for us is Biden in the economy. Um, So 
what Tom Tillis won by 40,000 votes in a general election against a flawed candidate. And since that time, in two years, you look at the Raleigh market and the Charlotte market primarily of the new independent voters and the tens of thousands of new voters coming to North Carolina. We don't know how they're going to vote. And they obviously didn't participate in the primary. I mean, the turnout in the primary was horrendous. So we talk about this enthusiasm, but John, you might be able to answer, what was the vote total, 13, 14% in the primary? It was, a, it was a little bit higher than that, but it wasn't, it wasn't substantially different. The, the usual right. turnout is around 15%, believe it or right. not. Uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't right, radically different from that. And you're right, Pat, the, the, uh, the, the folks who just arrived here are unlikely to be the, the more partisan voters. And so we don't really know what they look like. I mean, you, you say that the only thing Republicans have going for them is Joe Biden and the economy. But those are two really big things. Huge. You know, those, are, those are gigantic dinosaurs. I would uh, agree with and, you. And they will certainly help the Republicans a lot. But the times that you can see, and you, I think you were alluding to this well in, in the not too recent, not too uh, distant past, when parties blow it, when they have things going in their direction, think about 2010 for the Republicans. Uh, it was a fantastic year for Republicans, including in North Carolina, but it was worse than it could have been because of some poor candidate recruitment for the U.S. Senate. They lost some Senate races in a wave Republican election year they should have won because they nominated and then the, the party either couldn't or didn't coalesce around that flawed candidate or the candidate didn't try to unify the party or it was a candidate like in Delaware. Remember the witch from Delaware? who had to declare, just say she wasn't a witch, she had no appeal to the non-Republicans in a state that would be very difficult. So it is possible for a, whether it's Democrats in 2006 or in 2018 or Republicans in 2014 or 2010, both of those parties left seats on the table they could have won. I was one of those in, in, years. in 2016. Yeah. I yeah. lost yeah. by 10,000 votes out of 4.6. Yeah. Unlike Burr and others, but some would say it was HB2. Some would say it's a toll lane in North in Charlotte. It's yeah, around 77. Mm -hmm. Coal ash in Greensboro. You don't know what local issues or other issues could influence our personalities. And, you know, we have other people that are causing cotton. Mark Robinson, that is portrayed as the most popular person who ran a commercial against me, by the way, saying I'm not a conservative which is, you know, a guy who's been in office for a year and a half goes on TV and says, I'm not a conservative. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah, you, uh, you know, and Governor, I, I want to stay with that that point right right quick, because, um, you know, I've had I've had the lieutenant governor on the show a couple of times and, you know, he's, he's not been official about this, but we all know that he's, he's most likely running for governor in 2024. Um, WRAL published a story maybe a couple of weeks ago just talking about the amount of money that Josh Stein is amassing, not to mention the lieutenant governor is amassing. You know, are, are we just moving into another cycle where, where we're going to see a bunch of money deployed, um, but but not not a lot of substantive conversation about policy, like you mentioned earlier? So far, that's the trend is <clears throat> well, there's some gun policy being mentioned and some of its demagoguery on both sides, by the way. And uh, that may the demagoguery on both sides gets all the media attention, but no serious discussions on the economy, on energy, on, on even guns or crime, because these are very complex issues. And right now, some of the people that we're electing, 
in the primaries on both the Democratic and Republican side, uh, have not, we've not heard complex discussions on these issues. I mean, complex, I'm not speeches. I'm talking about complex, detailed discussions on uh, the most recent one, by the way, John, you might, I mean, the Senate Republicans, who many have called me a rhino, just voted unanimously to do Medicaid expansion, <laughs> which is the most damn liberal thing I've seen in North Carolina history. And those are all the people that many called me a rhino in this election. You haven't gotten the memo. You have, it's, yeah. Once you got the memo, then you would have changed your mind, Pat. Come on. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't. I mean, so I'm, you know, John, maybe you respond. I'm confused about the definition of conservative now because our legislature, and I don't think the lieutenant governor has responded to this. He's ahead of the Senate, has stated where he is on Medicaid expansion. Seven I years ago. Well, actually, he said it on my show that he didn't support Medicaid expansion. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he he, he actually did. I, I did ask him about that. And um, I, I even asked him about that in the context of him becoming governor in 2024. And he, he said that he that's just not something that at least at the moment heard. that he can support. But I, I want to bring Harold back in on something you just said, Governor, about gun control. Harold, Harold's retired military. Um, he, he's a gun enthusiast. I didn't say gun control. <laughs> you know, I he, said guns. He, <laughs> yeah, just gun yeah, he, he and I, he, we've had this conversation. You know, Harold, as we get into the general election, I think we can all see that, you know, gun control or gun rights is going to be very um, prominent in, in the debate. I mean, a after this latest shooting in, in Texas, I mean, what what do, you, what do you think about additional gun legislation at this point? I think that we as conservatives, on at least from my my opinion on it is we've got to stick to the values that we that we hold on the Second Amendment. I mean, I, I don't think that that those values should waver at all. Um, the, the rights of people to bear arms shouldn't be infringed. And of course, I think that said, there is wiggle room um, with regard to what, you know, a legislature can do or even what the courts can interpret because, you know, we can't have nuclear weapons as people. We can't have a bazooka, right? So I, I think there is some sort of, there is as a society wiggle room to, to decide what what is appropriate. But I, it, what it feels like to me is, you know, the, some of these, some of these, unfortunate and terrible incidents are just uh, tools for the other side to say, all right, let's, let's go down the path to taking guns away. And I just don't, I, I just think we have to be vigilant in, in making sure that, you know, um, that we fight against that. But Harold, I've got a question but, but, about that. Real quick, John, I'm sorry, yeah. but, the, but the position you just stated, Harold, in a purple state like North Carolina, is that a, is that a winning position? You know, I don't know whether it's a winning position. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying what, what I think on it. I think that, you know, I, I think most North Carolinians, if I had to guess, would be for, for uh, not, you know, eradicating the Second Amendment, but also would be for things that like background checks and stuff like that. I, I, I don't see most North, most North Carolinians being against background checks. Well, I was going to ask about that question in particular because I, I just learned, and I didn't realize the sheer number, but apparently so far this year, there have been hundreds of reports to school officials in North Carolina, uh, and, and they're supposed to come to school officials and to law enforcement. Hundreds of times people have said, I'm concerned about my 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 uh, son's friend who's 13 who says he's he's going to kill people. So there's been there's a lot of tips, and a lot of them get checked out. 
and people, kids either get help, they get uh, an intervention from a parent, they get an intervention from a school official. And this has led me to really think a lot about this idea of the red flag law, which uh, a number of conservative states like Florida have laws where you can temporarily, if you have evidence, if, if you have a family member or friend says, look, this person is talking in suicidal terms or is talking about threatening to you know, kill people, and there is a process that begins, and there's an investigation, and sometimes someone's uh, uh, ownership of a gun can be stripped for like 30 days while there's an investigation of a credible tip like that. Um, I, that feels to me different than the idea of restricting the Second Amendment in some serious way, yeah. uh, permanently changing someone's rights. It really has to do, everyone I think agrees that people who are mentally ill, people who have serious substance abuse problems, uh, children, uh, have different sets of rights on anything, driving a car, owning a gun, whatever it is. And surely in that scenario, there ought to be some way to intervene and try to, try to because a lot of the other proposals that people make about about, about all these gun restrictions, they have nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do with these mass shootings. One thing that really has to do with most of these mass shootings is someone who is troubled or mentally ill or angry and usually lashes out and gives some indication to someone ahead of time <clears> they're <throat> going to do something. And I think that that is something that people who believe in the Second Amendment can be for, is to take action or at least investigate those kinds of tips. You know, guys, I'm, I'm going to run out of time here. I got time for probably one more question. This is a great conversation. I've actually had a few people message me online saying they're enjoying it. So, um, you know, John, I'm going I'm to toss it back to you. You spent a lot of time watching politics all over North Carolina. You, you and I had a great discussion about several races up and down the ballot. Um, just real quick, any other races out there? Obviously, we've, we've talked a lot about the U.S. Senate race, which was top of the ticket. Any other races out there that just shocked you with their outcome on, on May 17th? Uh, there were a few local primary, legislative primaries that were a bit surprising, but nothing. I mean, the biggest one was what we've been talking about most of this half hour, I think, was the, the margin and all that. Uh, but the, the races to watch for November would be the two seats on the U.S. on the North Carolina Supreme Court. Absolutely essential. And whether the legislature will go to supermajority Republican control, they will absolutely be Republican. There's no question about it. It's just a question of whether the House could win basically uh, eight out of 13 competitive seats and get a supermajority in the North Carolina House, and whether Republicans in the Senate who win two of five toss-up seats or lean deep seats and get major a supermajority in the Senate. That's really the, 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 the crux of the matter for, for the state-level politics. Governor, anything you want to add before we let you go today? I think the most interesting races in the primary were my race, where the Club for Growth obviously no one knows who the Club for Growth is in North Carolina. Most of the money's coming from a billionaire out of Illinois in the shipping business, does a lot of shipping business with China. And uh, so that needs to be explored more. But the influence the Club for Growth not only had on my race, but the influence the Club for Growth had on the congressional race in Johnson County and part of Wake County in that race where we, had, we elected a 25-year-old kid with no experience whatsoever and didn't even live in the area. And then uh, Madison Cawthorn's race, where he lost by really, everyone says he lost, but he only lost by one or 2%, which is a pretty daggum close race. Considering the resources. Huh? Just 1,300 votes or so. 1,300 votes. I mean, it would have been interesting had he won what people would be saying. What would, and 
Bud and others stayed out of that, uh, just stayed quiet. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see the general election impact on um, on those races. And and I hope we don't have division, but we need to get some clarity. And it's interesting, North Carolina legislature doing the I think we've got a major division between the Senate and the House among Republicans on Medicaid expansion that everyone's not wanting to whisper about, talk about. They're whispering it. But it happened when I was governor, too, between the Senate and the House. But that's the major piece of legislation for Roy Cooper is Medicaid expansion and the Senate Republicans with some very powerful lobbyists on the Republican side, which I will not name at this point in time, obviously have a great deal of influence. And um, they have influence with the club for growth. They work for the club for growth too. So it's just kind of interesting the dynamics that are occurring in our party internally in the state and nationally. Um, it's gonna be fun to watch and, and to examine again, how we, how we define conservatism. My definition was, you know, being Jim Martin was conservative, Jesse Helms was conservative, Art Pope, who was my budget director, was conservative. I'm not sure they meet that criteria anymore in North Carolina, and I include myself in that. But I'm going to fight for the, my definition of conservatism, and because um, I care for this state and I care for this country. You know, Harold, as we close up, man, we're moving into the general out of the primary. What do you what are you keeping your eyes on? I think John alluded to it earlier. To me, the biggest race is the North Carolina Supreme Court. It is extremely important. We think about when you look at what's happening with redistricting and voter ID and that kind of stuff, it all comes down to us having a majority on the Supreme Court. Um, the, the Democrat majority in the Supreme Court has proven that they would overturn or usurp the, the state legislature's authority um, on redistricting and other things. And, and without a conservative majority on the North Carolina Supreme Court, the things that even a supermajority legislature would pass may not actually be enacted or may not um, co come to fruition as good law because of, because of the state Supreme Court. So that, that's a super important race. By the way, one other important race as you end is uh, will Donald Trump announce his presidency before the November race? And maybe try to make sure that uh, the current Florida governor doesn't get in by getting in early. And if he does, how much will that impact the North Carolina races and other races across the nation? So that, I think that's going to be a major question mark is uh, uh, Donald Trump's uh, influence on a national level. If he decides to get into the presidency before November, John, you might want to comment on that. I think that's going to be very interesting. I agree entirely. It's a, it would be a risky thing for him to do, yeah. uh, but he's been known to done done risky things in the past. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, and I that think... might put other candidates in a bind. Then they'd have to commit one way or the other while on the ticket trying to get the independent votes. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I think um, President Trump has amassed a tremendous amount of influence. He's actually outraising the National Party. So he's raising more money than, than the entire Republican Party. So, yeah, I think you're, you're right. I, I think some of us, including me, are, are just ready for the Trump era to, to pass us so we can we can get back to real politics here. But um, but I don't think that's going to happen. That, that's the reason why you never see my name on the ballot. So I can say those kind of things. But, you know, to my audience, I appreciate you guys locking in. You've been locked in with some really um, strong political professionals here. Former Governor Pat McCrory, who was also a candidate for the U.S. Senate um, president of the John William Pope Foundation. John Hood has been locked in with you. 
as well as Harold Eustache, who's a prominent attorney here in Forsyth County and also vice chair of the Forsyth County Republican Party. As always, make sure you stay tuned to WTOB. That is where the Locked In Show broadcasts every Sunday morning at 7.30. If you happen to miss it there, you can always subscribe and download the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you like to get your favorite podcasts. You can lock in with us there. And always make sure you're following Algernon Cash on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And until next time, y'all stay locked in. The executive producer of the Locked In Podcast is Algernon Cash for WCG. The associate producer is Tim Beeman for Such and Such Media. The views and opinions in this podcast are solely those of the contributors and are not necessarily those of our distributors or hosting company. This podcast is copyrighted and cannot be reproduced without express written consent of WGC.